want to begin with the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, which is often called the love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So this underscores the, uh, how important love is in the life of a Christian, in the service of a Christian. And the title of our message, Love at Home, comes from the famous song, A Love at Home. It's actually in, uh, in the hymns of the church. The words and the music were written by John H. McNaughton, who lived from 1829 to 1896. An interesting detail about him, uh, during the Civil War, he wrote patriotic songs sympathetic to the Union cause. One of them was Abraham's Tea Party. We're going down the Dixie Boys upon a little ride, our knapsacks on behind us, boys, and sabers by our sides. Uh, that song is not in John B.'s hymn book. So uh, John McNaughton knew about patriotism and uh, nationalistic fervor and hatred and conflict and violence and death. But this song, Love at Home, which I think most of us are familiar with, uh, is about peace and love at, at home. And this is a song that he's remembered for. You can, it's hard to find much about him or about his other songs uh, in places I looked. And the song is, is pretty idealistic. Uh, and it has been known to irritate some, some uh, stressed out parents with its lines of bliss occasionally, joy in every sound, time doth softly, sweetly glide, roses blossom neath our feet, all the earth's a garden sweet, making life a bliss complete. Well, many, many homes are much more like Abraham's Tea Party, actually. And even in Christian homes, uh, there's a lot more commotion than this song describes. Ours, I confess, ours had more commotion than this song at times. But the song does make a very important point, and that is that if there is love at home, if there is genuine love at home, home is a much better place. The Bible stresses, we know, uh, the importance of love. We're taught to and commanded to love one another over and over and over again in the New Testament. 
owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. But through love serve one another, from Galatians 5. And But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And in Ephesians, bearing with one another in love. And again, walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And 1 Peter 1, 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So he's saying to them, uh, your love is sincere, but dial it up. Uh, make it more fervent. And that's uh, always a call to us as a Christian. So those, these uh, several verses uh, are examples that stress the importance of Christian love. Uh, love must be everywhere, wherever Christians are, where they live, where they work, where they, where they serve. And God is love, so uh, His children should should portray that characteristic as well. Now, these verses don't specifically say uh, love each other at home, but the home is absolutely included. The Christian home is the workshop where love is first felt, where it's first experienced and observed and watched in everyday life. The home is where love is taught and nurtured and grows where it should be. The, the Christian home is a laboratory for love, where it's tested and tried in just practical everyday life. There's many opportunities, many experiments, if you will, where it can be tried see how it works. And sometimes it works excellently. Well, it always does. Sometimes we're weak in it, and it doesn't work so well. Things don't work so well. Everything that's true about Christian love and what it's meant to be is needed at home. And I'm saying that uh, love at home begins by parents who love God. And in this message, I'm, I'm primarily uh, speaking to parents, but it really applies to every one of us. And uh, I thought of it at different times as we went through it, but it really does apply to all of us, anybody who is a child of God, it expects us. But I'm starting here with this emphasis that it begins in the home by parents who love God. And a couple of times in the last several weeks, I've heard this, these verses at church about the first commandment and the second commandment. And that's where I want to start this morning, where uh, a lawyer came to Jesus and asked him what's the greatest commandment. I don't know if this, if this lawyer was a dad or not, whether he had any children. 
or whether he's even married. We don't know. But Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So, point one under that, loving God means a relationship with God is a first priority for mom and dad, for any of us. In 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The commandment to Timothy, it's, it's not given uh, specifically here in that first chapter, but it was to teach the doctrines taught to him by Paul and not go rummaging in endless genealogies and so on. And I noticed in the last uh, uh, month or so, reading through the epistles, a number of times that, um, that endless genealogies or the things, discussions and arguments to no profit are mentioned. Concentrate on those things that, um, that challenge and motivate and move us to love God and serve Him. And so the purpose of the commandment, the way the Amplified says it, the object and purpose of our instruction and charge is love, which springs from a pure heart, somebody who's obeying the Lord and following His commandments and confessing where He's gone off track, and he has a clear conscience and a sincere faith. So, Christian love springs from a healthy and growing relationship with God. It's a life-giving relationship, and it involves time with the Word and prayer and a life of obedience. So, that's a priority. Then loving God also means that we love God more than our family. And Jesus told us that in Luke 14, beginning at verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So these uh, crowds were following Jesus, and why were they following him? They were interested in listening to his teachings, I believe. Uh, they were excited about his miracles, and maybe they were even feeling a loyalty to Jesus and enjoyed seeing him uh, answer the Pharisees and his critics and uh, seeing them embarrass themselves. But Jesus turned to these people and said, To be my disciple, it's more than just following after me. It's more than being interested in and excited and even loyal. You must meet certain conditions. You must have right heart priorities. A true disciple puts Jesus first, and everything else is second, of less importance. And Jesus is loved more than anything else. 
Now, did Jesus mean uh, hate your wife and your family? In the context here, it means um, love Jesus more, love less these other things. Love Jesus most, everything else is love less. One translation that tried to uh, attempted to catch the thought instead of saying, uh, if any man come to me and hate not, he translates this verse this way, if any man come unto me without prizing far less dearly. That's the Berkeley translation. Matthew 10, verse 37 says it this way, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So we understand that Jesus wasn't saying literally hate your wife or husband or children, but he was calling his disciples to love him more than anything, even to life itself. And um, But we can get so busy with our families, absorbed with our responsibilities and our work or whatever, that God uh, kind of fades from our minds for long stretches of time. To love a wife or husband or child more than God would be a form of idolatry, wouldn't it? But really, uh, loving God first, I want us to be impressed with this, that loving God first and, and giving Him His rightful place in our heart and life and mission on earth uh, helps us love each other and our children and others more, for we are filled with God's love. So loving God most of all doesn't leave our wife or husband or children less love, but actually love more. And in a, in a more helpful, more genuine helpful way, because in Romans 5, 5, it says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. So if we love our family first, they're actually loved less than they could be if we love God first, because we miss and weaken and diminish the Spirit of God's work in our hearts. So that was uh, the point I want to make there, that loving God, first of all, means that He's loved more than our family. Jesus said that. Loving God also means we open our lives to Him, we're surrendered to Him, and that's where the verse on the board comes in. <clears throat> Revelation 3.20, 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, this is from the letter uh, to the Laodicean church. And it describes Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And he may have been there for a while, knocking at the door, trying to get the attention of those inside. And he's not only knocking, and one uh, commentator said it was rapping, not just lightly tapping, but rapping on the door. And he calls also. He's calling, desiring attention and entrance. But at Laodicea, many, many hearts were close to Jesus, and they weren't paying attention to the knocking and the calling. And that's the way I want to look at this, uh, is Jesus knocking at our heart's door and trying to get our attention. And when, he, when we open the door, He's there, ready to come in to have sweet fellowship with us. But this uh, time with Jesus, this uh, supping, as, uh, as the King James has it together, is more than having company over for a friendly visit, where we talk about, where we review the sermon, maybe, or the Sunday school lesson, or we share what's happening in our lives, our hurts and aches, if we're old folks, and, or we talk about world affairs, we enjoy some chuckles together. This, this fellowship with Jesus is different than that. This is the Lord Jesus who has entered our heart. And He comes in with the great love of God who redeemed us. He's the Good Shepherd caring for His sheep. And He wants to lead us to the Psalm 23 green pastures and still waters to nourish and restore our souls. And many more blessings that we find in the promises of God that are found in the Scriptures. But He's also caring about our needs and about our weaknesses and our deficiencies, things that He sees in us. In the verse just before, in verse 19, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And Jesus, in that letter to the Laodicean church, addressed problems that they had. They were lukewarm. They were self-confident. They thought, I can handle this, okay. And they had terrible eyesight. They thought they were very well off, and they didn't realize how pathetically needy uh, they were. So, our fellowship with Jesus may include some rebukes also. So, maybe it's a working lunch. You've heard about working lunches where some businessmen get together and they talk about aspects of the business while they enjoy a meal. So, Jesus is in our heart 
He knows our hearts. What does this place need? He looks around the room. Leon, look at this. Is that really the way it ought to be? Do I see some pride there? Some selfishness? Something there in the way I related to my family? Some impatience? Some sharp words that I should make an apology for? And when we, in a session like that, he doesn't dump it all at once. But if we've opened the door and invited him in, he not only blesses us in that time, but he blesses us by revealing things that aren't as they should be, aren't as good as they should be. And I can see that more clearly than I did before. I'm not in as good a shape as I thought. My heart needs some work. I'm not serving my family as I should. I confess, you are right. I surrender. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. I acknowledge my need, and I know that He is the answer. And that's why He's here. That's why He was knocking and calling. So the Spirit's work in our heart is diagnostic on the one part. Here's the problem. He knew that before we opened the door. But now he's where he can reveal that to us. He has our attention. We're listening. And he's letting us see what we are. So the second part of the Spirit's work is redemptive. Here, let's fix this. I can help you fix this. He's given us the manual, the Bible, and He'll help us. He'll help us understand it. We won't figure it all out at once. We won't go to a YouTube video and just see a five-step process for how to fix our hearts. It can be a long-term process. We can learn some things and make big changes quickly sometimes. But we need the Spirit's diagnosis and we need God's redemption and His help in correcting. So when Jesus comes to lunch and there's true fellowship with Him, something happens. At the wedding in Cana, that was a reception, there was a meal the water turned to wine. When Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus had a remarkable heart change. Jesus doesn't just bring hostess gifts when he comes to visit us. He offers divine blessings. And he brings life-giving, uh, life-changing power to bear on us and the needs that we are praying about. When Jesus is there, it's a godly wife sanctifying her unbelieving husband and being a godly influence to her children that we read about in 1 Corinthians 7, 13, and 14. Uh, the woman who has a husband who doesn't believe 
and he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So, when this godly companion opened the door and Jesus came in, uh, it made a change in her heart. It made a change in her home. She's more effective in her home with God there. We're more effective wherever we are as God's children if God is there in our heart. Now, the best situation is both husband and wife uh, with open doors to Jesus and communion with Him. This doesn't mean that having a godly uh, mom or dad, husband, wife, that the rest of the family then is saved, but there is a godly influence and a work of God that happens in that kind of situation. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. So we can work to provide and raise our families, and we want them to learn good things and do well. But something is seriously missing if we don't have the Lord's help. If our heart's door isn't open. And this is what Solomon said. This was a Psalm of Solomon. Unless the Lord is building, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards against the evil one, the watchman stays awake in vain. We can lay awake at night and worry about our children or whatever in our family, what we're facing, uh, or others. And we can fret and stew. But unless we're bringing that to God, uh, we're not making much contribution. That doesn't mean that God has deserted us or doesn't care about us unless others, unless we pray for them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that to, to uh, multiply the efforts that God, that we put forth, we have to have God's help. We have to have God's help. It's like Jesus said in John 15, for without me, you can do nothing. Paul called himself a co-laborer, a fellow worker with God when he talked about planting and watering, but God gave the increase. It wouldn't have happened without God's work.
Some of you brothers will remember uh, Steve Williams. He was here nine years ago. I look back to see. Uh, I'm sorry, no, longer than that. It was in 2009 when he was here for a father's meeting. And the fathers met over in the school basement. And I think some fellows, two single fellows. But one thing he said was this that I always remembered. We can fill water pots with water, but only Jesus can turn water into wine. The point was that we can teach our children and we can point them toward God and but only God can save their souls and make them fruitful Christians and part of what are part of Christ's kingdom. We can't do it alone. And one thing, I don't know Steve Williams really very well, but uh, <clears throat> well, I don't know him well at all. But one thing that impressed me about him in visiting with him before the service that night uh, he had been a uh, Boeing engineer, officer, official, something in a uh, Boeing company out in, I believe, Colorado. And he became a Christian or else became a renewed Christian. I don't remember all the details. But he left that uh, cushy job, that high-paying job, because he was not able to give God or his family the priority that he knew he was called to give them, to give God and family. And that's how he ended up in North Carolina making uh, windows. We can't do it <clears throat> alone. And praise the Lord, uh, we don't have to be perfect parents, perfect people to qualify for God's help. Otherwise, we'd be sunk. Actually, often uh, we need some help to get the door open. We don't have to fill out and file an application and then wait for days and weeks and months to, uh, to get a license or to see if we qualify for assistance. I know of somebody <coughs> where an application was filed last July for some kind of license. This was in another state, business license of some sort, and they're still waiting for it. God is merciful and patient. God is knocking and calling if we listen. I'm, what I am saying here is that we want to... Uh, we want to take seriously our need for God's help and God's protection. We can't do this work alone. We need to open the door and let God in. And when we open our hearts to Him and uh, we confess our need and cry out for help, He's there. And when Christian parents pray, confessing their own needs and the needs in our homes, beseeching God's presence and blessing and power to help and save us. God's there. 
He's there in a way that he wouldn't be, that he isn't when we don't pray, when we're just going through the motions and winging it on our own because we kind of know how this works. The same is true when we pray for church and school and workplace and wherever our responsibilities and our burdens take us. We can't overestimate the value and the power of the blessing and grace that God brings to our Christian homes. He's there to help us and to save us. And then we can be fellow workers with Him in, at home in any situation. So, are we still talking about love at home? It, uh, it could seem like we kind of stepped aside here and we're talking about needing God's help. Well, yes, we're still talking about love at home. We need God to have that love. We need God's help to fulfill our mission, and we don't fulfill it right, regardless of all the good things we do, we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, if we don't have love, if we don't have God's love and power and blessing on us as a family, we're going to be diminished, and our family will be diminished, uh, and we'll miss something that we could be benefiting from. So we're almost out of time, but I want to touch on a few things um, further. Uh, I want to emphasize that the second part of Jesus' commandment, that when there's love at home, we love our neighbors as ourselves. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So for most of us, our family members are our closest neighbors. Husband and wife may be closest of all. And sometimes we do better loving our neighbors or think we do loving our neighbors across the street or the road or at the other, side, on the other end of the country or around the world somewhere. May we do better loving them than we do loving our family. And it's easier to bring our church faces along on Sunday, but at home sometimes it doesn't look as good. So home is a place to practice loving our neighbors and where we can be strengthened in that. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands, the Bible tells us. Somebody said, that marriage is, these aren't the exact words, but it was the thought that marriage is a crucible that brings out all the, the dross, the selfishness in us that needs to be dealt with. And, to, and Jesus designed marriage, he said, to help purify us. Maybe some find it more true than others, but... Uh, certainly we have to love our neighbors as ourselves in our marriages. And, you know, God has designed marriage. He has designed the roles in marriage. 
if a wife is bossy and ruling the household, you know, we can think about it. She's she's kind of out of place. And uh, she needs to learn a little more about the support role, the helper role that God designed for her, and to find the joy and blessing in that. If a husband is more a demanding dictator type of person and giving orders and not giving consideration to his to the needs and hopes and desires of his wife and children, uh, we could say, well, he's being the head of the home, he's leading the home, but he's also out of order. And he needs to learn more of Jesus' servant leadership, the shepherd leader that carries the little ones and gently led those with young. He gives his life for the sheep. It's a blessed security for children when they when they know that dad and mom love each other. Uh, quickly further, when parents love their neighbors as themselves, they love their I'm sorry. When their parents uh, yeah, love their neighbors as themselves. They love their children. That's a gift to a child. To know they're loved and valued, it greatly affects how they view themselves and how they relate to others. They're not developing a pumped-up self-esteem in a proud sense with an inflated ego, but rather uh, it's helping to develop in them a quiet, confidence, helping them toward developing a quiet confidence and security that he is wanted. He belongs in this home. He is loved by God, by dad and mom. And he understands that he was uniquely created by God for a purpose. He's special. Not more special than anyone else in the world. But he is special and he is loved. He is learning, working toward, being helped toward the security and peace of obedience. There's a nurturing environment. Paul wrote that parents are to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And there's a difference between admonition and the admonition of the Lord. When a child misbehaves, uh, we can get into the admonition mode pretty quickly. And it's easy to scold. It's happened to me numerous times as a parent. It's easy to scold, to punish, and kind of pat and smack things back into place and get the child where he is supposed to be sitting still, or whatever order he's supposed to be in. And at least it appears that way on the surface. He's sitting there and doing what he's told. But what's going on on the inside? The nurture and admonition of the Lord cares about what's going on inside. What's his attitude? Is he angry, troubled, sad? What's going on? Why? 
he would benefit from some conversation, some questions, some listening, some sympathy and care. And when there's nurture and admonition of the Lord, the whole child is a concern. And he is being approached in the love of God by his parents. And the behavior and the heart needs are addressed. This is all pretty time-consuming. A uh, quick story. Uh, Charles Francis Adams was a grandson of an U.S. grandson of John Adams famous John Adams in history. And Charles was an important person himself. He was a state senator and a U.S. congressman, ambassador to Great Britain under Abraham Lincoln. He may have known Abraham's song. But he was very conscientious about keeping a daily journal, and he had seven children, and he encouraged all of them to keep journals. And Henry was his fourth child, and he followed his father's advice and began keeping a journal when he was very young. When he was eight years old, his father took him fishing one day, and they spent the whole day together. And in his journal that evening, Henry wrote, Went fishing with my father today, the most glorious day of my life. And the day was special enough to Henry that he talked about at different times over the next 30 years as he grew up and, and started his own career. And sometime after his father died, he had the idea to go back to that date in his father's journal and see what his father had written. And sure enough, his father had written about it. This is what he said. Went fishing with my son. A day wasted. Now, maybe he was disappointed that they didn't catch any fish. Maybe there were some other things. I don't know. But it was a very different perspective from what his son Henry had. There's a lot more we could talk about. Um, well, there's more we could talk about. We could go through the rest of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That would be a good homework assignment. Just go through and look at those characteristics. Love suffering long time, not envy, not bragging, not rude, and on. Those are good things to go over while we're in the presence of Jesus in our fellowship with Him. So, what we've talked about is uh, love at home beginning with parents loving God and putting God first. And that relationship with God is a first priority. We need to love God more than family. Loving God means to open our lives, our hearts to Him, surrender to Him, and beg of Him, beseech of Him, his help, for without him, we can do nothing. When we grow in that, we do better at loving our neighbors as ourselves, our close neighbors in our homes. 
And we can look back and we can think about a message like this and have regrets. I have regrets. Many folks, many parents have regrets. Many of us have regrets. But don't despair. God has a way from where we are. And it certainly starts by being sure that the door is open and that we're fellowshipping with Him and that He has a priority. Many Christians in, are in unideal situations. Many youth are in unideal situations with parents that aren't what they ought to be. God bless them. But when there's love at home, when Christ is there, the home is built up. And God's blessing and protection is on that home in a way that it wouldn't be were God not there, were God's parents not walking with Him and asking for His help. And when there's more love at home, you know what? There's more love at church. There's more love at school. There's more love in the community because God is there. A godly, loving Christian home is a powerful testimony to a desperate, fallen world. May God bless us. Everyone, where we are and how we're serving.